While he's standing here, he did a tremendous job last week teaching. Thank him. He's awesome. Great teacher. Appreciate him. It gave Chris and I a chance to, um, to be able to have the break, Terry, the week before, and appreciate those guys and their teaching gift. Uh, it was nice for us to be able to uh, get away for a little bit. We went to Hilton Head. I don't know if you've ever been to Hilton Head or not. Caught it on the shoulder season right now, so it's like half the price that it normally is, and it is a beautiful, it's not Colorado, but uh, it's, it is a beautiful place, and we enjoyed the, the time away. A um, couple of things that I want to just do real fast before I teach. First, a um, week ago, uh, Saturday the 30th, we did our trunk or tree, and I'm sure you heard us talking about it. If you weren't there and a part of it, you missed something that was a lot of fun and really special. And the people that made it happen, and there were a lot, really did a good job. So I want to recognize that for a moment. Then I want to mention this. At that event, a couple of the Denver Broncos showed up. I won't say who they are. Uh, you would know them. Um, here's my, my question to you. First, an observation. One, they were here um, a week ago Saturday and then they won the game the next day. So I, I'm just saying. And they're not here because they have to be in Dallas. So if they lose, I don't know, maybe there's a connection that being at Jubilee brings a certain blessing with it. Here's really what I want to point out to you. Um, it's rhetorical. Think about it. I think that there's something in the question that I'm asking you that our church needs to maybe think about. Could a celebrity come to this church and be safe in this church? Let's think about it for a moment because what I noticed is that even the little bit, and I get it, you know, oh, it's a celebrity, let me get an autograph. You know, it would be difficult to, um, to not be able to go to a restaurant and eat a meal or to go shopping, but maybe even more so, to go up to church and not be able to worship, or to go to church and not be able to get your kids in and out of the nursery, or to go to church and not be able to just, just receive, right? You're just, you're, so I'm asking the question, could a couple of celebrities come to our church and could they be home here without being treated like, you know, that the Holy Spirit came into our, <laughs> came into our church? And I'm asking that question, I was not asked the question, but I recognize that there's actually a connection for them here at our church. And so I'm asking, if that did happen, could they just come to church? Could we make a decision that said ahead of time that they're, yes, they are celebrities, yes, you know, it, it, it would not be the time for you to point out the five things you saw in the game that, <laughs> right? Could they just come and worship is what I'm asking. And it's rhetorical, but I felt like I needed to say that and put that proposition out there. And maybe, maybe for us just to think about a little bit, would it be possible for them to do that and to enjoy what you get to enjoy, uh, what I get to enjoy? And so no more said about it. Just, uh, just think about that uh, a little bit. And then this one, and I have waited so long to say this and to show you this. Demolition began in the building a week ago, Monday. <laughs> They are cranking through it. In fact, demolition, I wish construction was as quick as demolition, to be honest with you. They'll be done with demolition on Tuesday. Literally, uh, I think it's eight or nine days it took them to get everything out of there so that construction can start. It is scheduled to start the first week of December. And once they start construction, it's all indoor work. There's no outdoor, so weather won't be an issue. Uh, it really is. Here's the focus point of prayer. I'm sure you're paying attention right now. There's a lot of materials that are caught in ports, uh, especially on the West Coast, which is where a lot of our stuff is coming through. Let's pray about that. Um, a lot of the materials are there, but can't get unloaded and out. And those things, they will, but they just draw out the project, right? We're just, we're waiting. So maybe pray about that and, and keep that. But let me show you this video. This is what demolition looked like this week over at our property.
Yeah, that's just going to be so good. And of course, what they'll do with the outside facade too and helping it to look more like a church. Uh, I think you really appreciate. A couple of other things just to share with you about it that were really interesting. This week, um, they pulled the copper out of the building that we won't uh, be using and had some folks in our church who helped us recognize those things. Jim Schoenfelder was one of them. Um, the church was paid $10,000 cash for the copper uh, this week that came out of the building. That was super cool. Um, then there were some IT racks. It was, uh, they had a computer room there that we won't need. They were able to sell those for $5,000. Then we've got these two huge generators over there that, again, we won't need them, and that was $20,000 that uh, was paid to the church. Yep. And then one other really significant one, um, so our architect. We met with our architect, and, you know, I, I think anybody that's building something right now probably recognizes that this is true, especially in commercial, that coming out of COVID, uh, with inflation that is happening right now and with products that are being uh, held up and then um, all the stuff that's happening with labor, of course, it's, it's put an increase and pressure on the cost of the project. And so we met with our architect, our builder too, but our architect, and just said, you know, this, your contract is connected to uh, what the price of the project is. And because the project has escalated, it's causing your fee to go up. And those guys agreed to keep their fee based on the original price of the project, and it saved us $100,000 this week. So it was, a, it was a tremendous blessing. Pastor Todd is definitely earning his salary uh, like, like crazy, and I appreciate him uh, doing that. So it does lead then to this and to the reconnection of where we are in the project. Starting December of 26, uh, you know, last year, 2020, we, we began the project literally the day after Christmas, and your response to it has been phenomenal. We've raised $4 million in cash uh, in less than a year, and um, the project has just gone tremendously that way. The second part of it, the finish up, there's still about $3 million that we need to connect to the project to have it done. We made a couple of changes with the building for right now. One of the things we wanted to do was to raise the roof in the sanctuary. But we made the determination that right now is not the time to do it. We can go back and do it. But in order to save some of the money, we were able to save about $2 million by not raising the roof right now. So uh, it just, it was an easy decision for us as much as we wanted that and feel like it will. Uh, you know, atmosphere is important in a building, especially in worship. But we just felt like right now we, we'll just have to go without it for a little bit. But we still need to finish up this project and finish it up right so I want to say this. First, thank you so much for what you've done with this project, for praying for it, for giving to it, for encouraging it, even just the clapping and the shouting when the video comes on. You don't know what that does for me personally and for other people who are a part of this. And what a celebration it's going to be. Yeah. I don't know which one of you was first right here in this section, but God bless you for doing that. Um, I, so I want to throw it out. If you're in a position to help us with this, maybe you already have, but you feel like that you're able to, would you continue to help us with this? Would you pray about it and ask the Lord what your place is with this and will you help us uh, with this project? I want to remind you, you're not doing something for me and you're not doing something for my family. This is because the Lord put us in this position and that's obviously what he's blessed and what he's done. And this is for future generations too that I'm asking right now. Um, if you have pledged and have not uh, fulfilled your pledge yet and you're in a position to do it, would you go ahead and do that? And maybe you're new in our project and haven't... Um, Maybe you haven't heard about it. Maybe you just haven't been. You're, you're too new since when we started the fundraising, but you're going to be a part of our church. Would you be a part of this project? Would you ask the Holy Spirit what you're supposed to do, and would you do that thing right there? Look, we're very low tech. I don't put together tens of thousands of dollars to come up with a campaign in order to raise money. I believe that you should pray about it and do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And that if you're listening, it really will be easy for you to hear on that. Maybe you're in a situation where you go, Pastor, if I was in a different place, then I would do it. How about this? Lord, if you bless me in this way, here's what I'll do. And put it out there for the Lord to be able to bless you in that right there. But folks, we're in that situation where we need to raise that money, about $3 million. We need it within the next six, seven, eight months, somewhere in that time frame. 
And if you're in a position to help us, would you do that? Would you pray about it? And as always, I know it's, it's tempting to think, okay, I'll divert my giving in my tithe and in my offering over here to this to help out pastor and what he's saying. That doesn't help. That actually does the very opposite and takes away. This is giving above and beyond what your normal giving is. And it's, um, it's from the heart and from that place where you're telling God yes to what you're asking in your kingdom. So, folks, it works best for me when people are just straightforward and honest. That's how I'm approaching you right now. Not manipulating you, not twisting you, just saying here's where we are. Would you pray about it right there and do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do? Fair? Okay, thank you for that. And I will, on a weekly basis now, update you with what's going on and hopefully be able to show pictures as we're making progress. Okay. Enough of all that. Let's jump into our message. We're in a series called The Unexpected Words of Jesus. Now, uh, I don't think that everything Jesus said was unexpected. Some of it's just common sense. It's practical. The illustrations, the stories are powerful. But sometimes Jesus would say things that just simply went against what had been common knowledge or the way things had always gone. Like, for instance, when I started the series... Uh, the Old Testament taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what I pointed out is, if you carry that philosophy to its furthest conclusion, people will be blind and toothless, is what will come out of that ultimately, right? That's not what that whole thing was about, and I don't have time to go back there. But here Jesus begins a completely different, unexpected uh, philosophy when he says, if they smack you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And if they... <laughs> Someone got smacked on the cheek. Um, and if they curse you, bless them. And if they want you to go one mile, go two mile. And if they want your shirt, give them your coat too. So Jesus is teaching a philosophy that just simply, it was unexpected uh, in its words and its direction and how the kingdom of God was coming to earth. And so week by week, we've just talked about some of those unexpected words. Today, I'm going to do unexpected words when it comes to politics. It's slowly developing as I, <laughs> I let that roll. And what a good week to talk about this too, by the way. So I think it's going to be unexpected words. Matthew 22, 15 through 21. I'm sure it's scripture that you've heard before, but putting it in the context of talking about politics and what this really means and why they're unexpected words, we'll let it speak for itself. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. So right off the bat, the context of this is not people wanting an answer to a political problem. These are not people who are trying to figure out how to balance the kingdom of God and where politics fit into it. These are people who hate Jesus. They don't want him to be successful. Jesus is a threat to their power base. People are following Jesus and people are being set free. And these are the people who are not for that. Jesus said of the Pharisees, it's the blind leading the blind. You're leading them into a ditch. You go in and then they follow you into it. And you won't get out of the way. If you don't want to come into the kingdom, that's one thing. But you won't get out of the way so other people can come into the kingdom. Look at me. It's a great definition for what religion can do. Religion sometimes doesn't bring you to God. It keeps you from God. You never want that. Anything that keeps you from God, get that thing out of the way. So these are not people who come trying to solve a legitimate problem. These are people who don't like Jesus and they're looking to put him between a rock and a hard place, asking a question, hoping for the wrong answer so that they can then get Jesus. So the Pharisees went out, laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. This is interesting and I, I just want to take a moment to explain who the Herodians are. The Pharisees we understand. But the Herodians, this is a whole different understanding of politics and how it tries to make the intrusion into uh, our belief system, into our religion, into our, in our case, our Christianity. The Herodians were followers of King Herod. And Herod was the king over Israel, but that is not the power that ruled everything. Rome was the power that ruled everything. So they installed King Herod as a puppet. He was allowed to be a Jewish king as long as he played the fealty issue to Rome. So he would use politics and put it inside of Judaism in order to control the Jews. 
And so what we have here are people who, they're, they're not looking for a good answer to politics. They're looking for a way to trap Jesus. So then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Man, they are buttering Jesus up, aren't they? <laughs> Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said to them, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and asked him then, Whose image is this and whose inscription is on the coin? Caesar's, they replied, and then here's the unexpected words. Then he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Certainly a coin is minted in the image of the power that be. Today, we could pull a coin out and a quarter would have... That's a, uh, you're not, are you not sure? Come on! Who's on a quarter? The father of our country! The first president... Uh, you're still, I'm, I'm the, George Washington. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> Certainly you could pull a coin out and find that the coin has been minted in the image of the founder of our nation. But a human has been minted in whose image? And the inscription is, God has created you and put you here. And so Jesus comes up with this excellent, brilliant analogy. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, or to politics what belongs to politics, but give to God what belongs to God. And when we mix those two things together, it waters down what truth should be. They've got to be kept in their place and in their time. So I take this message today and want to talk to you about the unexpected words of Jesus, using today a little bit about politics. By the way, this is a loaded question because here's the position that Jesus is in. The powers that be, the Herodians and the Romans, they don't want an insurrection. They want to keep the status quo. They want to keep things the way that they are. And Jesus represents this idea that he's going to lead a revolt and a rebellion. In fact, when Jesus is brought to Pilate, the accusation is that he is an insurrectionist. He's going to lead a rebellion. And so you've got to put him down to keep a rebellion from happening. And in fact, Pilate has already had several rebellions that have happened underneath him and has been warned. If one more rebellion happens while you are the governor, we're going to remove you from power. So Pilate's in this really weird place, and they're trying to use Jesus' words to prove he's an insurrectionist. So if Jesus says the wrong thing right now, like, don't give to Caesar anything, they don't belong in our country anyway, then they can accuse Jesus of being an insurrectionist, a rebellion leader, and they can kill him. On the other side of the equation, all of Jesus' disciples up to this point believe that he's there to establish the kingdom of God. He's going to throw off Roman rule. He's going to establish the throne of God. And Judaism is going to become the world religion. So they're waiting for Jesus to start this revolt. So you see, Jesus gives the wrong answer either way. And he has this problem. And they're looking to trap him. And then Jesus brilliantly Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. They're so amazed by his answer, they turned around and walked away without having any comeback to it. How do you know you've done well when they don't have a comeback to it? So in truth, this particular passage of scripture, it's really not about taxes. It's really not about government. It's really about what belongs to God. That's what Jesus is trying to teach by the way, he doesn't say give to government anything that government wants. If you did that, you'll have nothing left. They'll take everything. Give to them what belongs to them, but it doesn't mean give everything that they want. But to God, give him everything. In fact, in Mark 8.15, Jesus says this to the disciples. Be careful, Jesus warned them. By the way, if you're a follower of Christ and Jesus says be careful, that's when you lean forward, you get the sleep out of your eyes, you open your ears. Be careful of what? And look at his instructions. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of 
Herod. So he's telling them right now, this political thing wants to make its way into our religion, into our beliefs, and you must keep it out because a little bit of this yeast gets in there and the whole thing will end up with it. And I would say to you today, in our culture, at our time, even in our church, politics has made its way in to where people believe in order to be a good believer, we've got to take over the government. We're not called to raise a sword, we're called to raise a cross. People believe that the way forward is for us to change legislation. And I'm going to say to you, unless a person's heart has changed, the legislation will only be so good. God said, I'll write my word upon their heart, not upon their laws. And it's when the heart has changed that a person is able to become what God has called them to be. And somewhere in our belief system today is that if we can have our way politically, then that will make the world everything that it's supposed to be. And I would say to you, and your answer to this question will tell me where your head is at. In America, do we have a political problem or a spiritual problem? If your answer is politics, then you have no choice but to go after government. But I'm telling you today, our problem is not political, our problem is spiritual, and if you want to change a nation, then you change hearts. It's not laws that need to be changed, it's hearts that need to be changed. Now, pastor, are you saying that laws don't matter? Laws do matter. Laws allow us to sit here today without worrying about somebody coming in and arresting us for being together. And there are places in the world today where believers are not free to do what you and I are doing right now. Places that they have to hide, they have to sneak, they have to worry about being caught. They'll go to prison or even their lives will be put on the line. Laws are important. Don't mistake what I'm saying. But when politics becomes the thing that we think, here's how the world gets changed. Here's how people come into the kingdom. Man, you are making, it's, it's the Herodian, the, the yeast of Herod. Politics that's made its way into the church. So by the way, let me just tell you, how do you know whether or not it's made its way into uh, our belief system? If you're spending more time with Fox, and I know which one I said, because nobody watches CNN. So if you... (laughs) Oh, come come on. I'm having a little fun right now. I know there's two or three of you that watch CNN. Uh, (laughs) If you spent more time with Fox than you did with God this last week, I would say to you, Fox has more of your attention than God does. If you know more of the statistics about what happened in Virginia than what God is doing in your community, then politics has more of your heart. And if you're more excited about the next election than what God is going to do in 2022, then Politics has your heart. The yeast of Herod has made its way into... And here's what I know. A little bit goes a long way. And instead of being powerful in one, it waters down the whole. And pretty soon we're ineffective believing that if we could become the moral majority, that'll make everything good. And that's not the way of the cross. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Anything anything we don't see it that way we don't understand it that way but God wants to be it and has the right if you're a follower to be it Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment again if you're a Christ follower not if you're just like making your way through life and whatever somebody says is the thing that you do that day but if you're a Christ follower And Christ has asked the question, what's the most important thing? Then as a Christ follower, again, you lean forward. You make sure that nothing is obscuring your view. You make sure that you can hear clearly. If Jesus is saying this is the most important thing, then as a Christ follower, you're paying attention. Do I have Christ followers in the room today? So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with... One more time. Love the Lord your God with... And with... And with... And with... It's the most important. 
It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's not if you feel like. If you're a Christ follower, I'm trying to narrow my audience. Jesus said narrow is the way. Let me make it narrow. This isn't for everyone. Not everybody in this room is going to hear this. For some, it's going to go right over your head because you're not a Christ follower. But if you are a Christ follower, if you have bowed your knee to him and his lordship is everything in your life, then the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. All. You don't divide that loyalty. You don't give part here and part there. He gets first place, and he gets first place in everything. Anything that takes the place of first place is an idol. And it's sneaky, too. Because you don't see yourself when everything else has your attention and your affection, especially politics. For today, when politics has your affection, and it comes before your time with God, and before your interest in spiritual things, you don't think it's an idol. But I'm telling you, friend, if you don't love God with all, then it's an idol. It's an idol. They're important things, but they're not the first place things. God and God alone, if you're a Christ follower, has first place. And for the church today, many people struggle with this issue. It is not a political problem, it is a spiritual problem. Therefore, it has to be dealt with in a spiritual way. So if you're taking the notes and you want to fill in the blanks, let's talk about when Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Let's talk about what belongs to God. One, you are made in God's image. Genesis 1.27. Let me read this to you. Eventually, I'll read this to you. Here we go. So God created mankind in his... And in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So when it says that we're created in the image of God, it's a mistake to think hair and eyelashes and fingers and fingernails and arms and a torso. It's not what that means. Images, attributes, and abilities. And God has given part of who he is to us. Now, he is the Lord of all creation. And I know that people today believe that, well, nature is really behind that, but I would say behind nature is God. Nothing is accidental. Nothing happens just because it happens. You being here this morning didn't happen because you woke up, hey, I'm in the chair at church. That's not how you got here. You were intentional. You did something to get here. You made decisions that helped you get. It speaks of a creative mind. God, in creating the earth and all that's in it, there is intelligence behind everything. He's the one. So that when it says we are created in his image, the difference between us and other creation is that we, humans, have been given certain attributes that other creation doesn't have. All life is from God, but birds, they're not creative. Now they can create, but they're not creative. A bird nest looks the same today as it did a thousand years ago. Birds don't become more adept at building two stories and garages and places for the little birdlings to come back to. To know what I mean by that. Like it's the same. But how much has architecture changed in a hundred years? How much have cars changed in 50 years? How much has clothing changed in 20 years? So when it says we're created in the image of God, part of the proof of that is that God is a creator. He spoke into the darkness and created light. He looked into what was without form and was void, and he began to create with it. You and I have the attributes of creativity in our lives. We create. Do you get it? It's not accident. It can, you can point to the difference between us and other parts of creation because we're created in the image of God. So this then begins to shape my thinking and should shape your thinking on how we view life. If all life, all humanity is stamped in the image of God, Jesus said everything that's stamped in the image of God belongs to God. Give it to God. Therefore, all life, listen, this is not a political statement. It's shaped not by politics. It is shaped by my belief in Jesus that if we're stamped in the image of God, then all human life is precious. It's special, and it's unique, and it's intentional. And you are, you're taught today, right? We're taught, no, it's accidental. It's all because billions of years ago, there was just this cosmic accident, and from this chaos came this order. And I would say that is not the way that it works. From chaos comes order when people are intentional 
That's what God has done with us. Therefore, we're taught that biologically is the only reason that people exist today. Your mother and your father at a particular time had you. And then some people are told, we didn't want you. It was an accident. But I would say to you, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter if your mom and dad wanted you or not. You are here. Not because they were for you or against you. You're here because God wanted you to be here. He wanted you to be here. Your life contains something. Listen to me. Your life contains something. The people in this generation need or you are not here. It is intentional. It is on purpose. Therefore, my issue when it comes to life, it's not shaped by the politics of the day. And whether it's a Democrat or Republican who feel a particular way about life does not cause me to go, well, I believe this or I believe that. I believe what I believe because God said. And that's how I make my decision. Therefore, listen... So if you're sitting there and you think, well, pastor, there's nuance to it. And what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that all life is precious. And therefore, it must be respected. And that shapes my belief, not politics. That shapes my belief. You're made in the image of God. So by the way, teaching along that compared to what culture says and what God says, identity today is a hotbed item, isn't it? Who are we and why are we? And what are we? Today, it's take what we are and throw it in the air. And then whatever stays up, that's what you are. And whatever goes down, that's what you're not. And by the way, if you don't like that, then pick this. And so we pick and choose then who we are. But I'm saying to you, your identity has already been predetermined and your objective then is to find out who God says you are because that's where you find identity. And by the way, parents, if you're sitting here with a child or a grandchild and you think you can abdicate that decision to someone else because you're trying to be whatever, you're making a huge mistake because in that gap, in that absence of you speaking identity and, and, and purpose to a child and to a young person or even to your friend will be a world with a completely different agenda. If you give up speaking truth, someone else will be there to speak a lie. Speak truth to people, man. Speak identity to people. Speak purpose to people. You find your identity in Christ. You find it in the fact that you're created with a mind that says, I knew you before you were born. In your mother's womb, I shaped you. I called you. I know you. So we have people today, my age and older, going around with no clue why they're here. And they're either bored, tired, frustrated, and in many cases, done. And that's a shame. Because you died before you lived. And you did something to make money, but not because it was your passion. And who are you? What are you? Why are you? And those things are found in God. Uh, <laughs> Jake, you are the master storyteller. And I know you heard this message before, but when I was writing it, I thought of you when I was putting together my illustration. You inspire me, Jake, to have better stories. <laughs> years and years ago, I bought a snowblower and uh, went to the big toolbox to get the snowblower. And I, I don't need manuals. <laughs> Any other person familiar with, I don't need them. I've, the, the word is man-ule. Man and then the feminine Yule. So I, I'm like, ha ha ha, it is a joke. This is my wife that says, ha ha ha. She knows the end of this story. So I bring the snowblower home, and I, all you have to do is put gas in it, and it's good to go. And so I start pulling, and it won't start. And so I am doing everything I can except reading the manual to get this thing to start. And it will not start after like five or six hours. So I throw it back in the car. I take it back to the big toolbox and I tell them, this Honda is a piece of junk. And I need a new one because whoever made this really messed up. This thing is not put together right. It's, I need another one. And the guy's like, I don't think, did you read the manual? I, what, are you in, what an insult, sir. 
give me another one. You get the new one, bring it home, put gas in it, start pulling on it, it will not start. And so I'm forced to read the manual. And there, disguised in bright green, is a switch that says fuel on and off. And as soon as I turned it on and pulled it, it started right up. It was perfect. <laughs> if you want to know the purpose of the thing, then consult the creator of the thing. And the creator produces a manual, which for you would be a Bible. So if you want to know why you're here, what you are, what your purpose is, the first place that you go is to the creator. Who am I? Why am I? What am I? And then read the manual. Because the manual is specific and directive. And if you elevate that above what everybody else is saying you are, or what you think you are. Amy, I don't know, she was probably in sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. For Father's Day, she built me a shoe rack and brought it to me from a class she was having at school and handed it to me. And I wanted to bless my little girl and I didn't want to hurt her feelings, so I looked at it like I knew what it was. <laughs> but I had no idea what that, th and I didn't want to say, this is awesome, what is it? I wanted to be like, this is awesome, I don't have one of these. Hoping that Chris will say in my ear, that's a shoe rat. <laughs> But I don't think she knew either. So, it's supposed to, if you were to take this pulpit and lay it down flat, it would have a totally different look to it. But when it's sitting up, it's got a particular look to it. So I took the shoe rack and I set it up straight and I thought, oh, she made me a pulpit. <laughs> and I'm going to use this pulpit at our church because my girl made it for me. And so I went and got my notepad and I set it on it to see if it would balance. And Amy goes, Dad, you're so funny. I'm like, ah, yeah. <laughs> How would you use it? She goes, it's for your shoes, Dad. Of course it's for my shoes. Put it down on the ground. So just by looking at something, doesn't tell you anything about it. So you look at somebody else and you think, here's who you are, this is what you are, this is why you are. You do the same thing when you look at yourself. But unless you know the purpose for why it was created, that thing never performs the way it was supposed to. So therefore, there are many people sitting in this room right now, you've been trying to make yourself something that you're not. And you're going along with what other people tell you today because you're not happy, because you're not useful. Not that you're not talented and not that you're not special and not that you weren't created with purpose, but you never took the time to find out. And therefore, in the absence of that thing, you're trying to figure it out by guesswork. And you know the funny thing? You live about 80 years on average, and a person can spend 80 years trying to figure that out and die never knowing what your purpose was. Think I'm wrong? There are counseling offices filled with people who never figured out, why am I here? What is this about? And so a pastor stands up and in 45 minutes tries to address an issue like this and can cause such angst in a person because suddenly it flies against everything you're trying to do right now to find purpose. And I'm telling you, it's not what I say. So I'm not up here of my own accord. These aren't words that I wrote. There's a deeper truth to what I'm trying to tell you right now. Purpose isn't decided. Purpose is discovered. And it's discovered in a relationship with the one who created you. To be a Christ follower is not some religious tokenism of, I do this because it's the right thing to do. To follow Christ is everything. It's purpose for everything. If you're taking the notes... The second one is giving yourself to God. According to Jesus, 
Render to Caesar what belongs to him, but give to God what belongs to him. And you are minted in his image. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Look at this powerful scripture. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who lives inside you, whom you have received from God? And look at this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. This is the exact opposite philosophy of the day we live in. Do what you want, when you want, how you want. And God is telling you, you are not your own. If you are a Christ follower, you were bought with a price. The very blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus was given because you belong to him. Therefore, as a Christ follower, in the morning when you wake up, you don't go, what will make me happy today? What do I want to do today? Where am I going to go today? Your job as a Christ follower is to say, God, what do you want of me today? Where am I going today? What do you want me to do today? Sounds radical to you? Wrong. Friend, this is Christianity 101. 101, the bar is so low today that when I say something like that, people think, that's radical. No, that's the minimum. The minimum. That's the minimum. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Man, we are called to lay down our lives, pick up a cross, humble ourselves, deny our flesh, prefer others, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, To die to yourself and to live for Christ. That's the minimum. Listen, you want to know what it really is? Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Write it down. Salvation is free. Whosoever will may come. But then Jesus says the road is narrow. And few find it. Whosoever will may come. But to become a disciple means your life is not your own. You belong to someone else. It's above everything else. Every other relationship, every other desire. Bottom line too, I know when I'm saying this, the best messages I preach are the ones that I wrote to myself. (laughs) I'm not talking down to any person in this room. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. Here's the third one. Love God with all. Matthew 10, 39. Let me just read it to you real quick. If you cling to your life, you will... Doesn't that sound like a paradox? If you cling to it, if you hold it, you'll lose it. But if you give it up, you'll find it. Doesn't that sound paradoxical? And the kingdom of God is paradoxical. If you want to be first, be... And if you want to be greatest, be. And if you want to hold on to your life, then lose it in Jesus. And if you want to make it all about yourself, you're going to absolutely find out that it's none of those things. What would it gain a person to get the whole world and lose their soul? It's all through what Jesus taught. So, this week, this really neat thing started happening with me, and it's kind of where this message has come from. There's a young pastor uh, connected to a family in our church that's really special to Chris and I. Um, and he was in Southern California with his wife, and they just had a baby a little while ago. And he had a really cool ministry at a church uh, in Orange County. But two things happened. They had a baby, and his wife's family's from here. And he wants to buy a house. And it was impossible there. So they put it before the Lord, and the Lord opened an opportunity for them to come back here. And he's looking right now for where is his place. But I was listening to his message, his last message that he preached at his church in L.A. And, man, it was a really powerful message. Tanner, I know you're watching right now. It was a really powerful message. But he said this in his message. He said, I'm asking God for holy discontentment. So let me explain this. The Bible tells us to be content in everything. But this is holy discontentment. And he said, I don't want the status quo spiritually anymore. I don't want to go through the motions because we're going through the motions. He said, I want to be hungry and thirsty because Jesus said, 
the people that are hungry and thirsty for me, I will satisfy. And so he started talking about this holy discontent. And I just was listening to it and it began to pierce my heart. And I'm thinking, God, all of my prayers are about me, 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 me. God, give me this. God, do this. God, protect this. God, watch over this. God, give us this. Nobody else in the building, huh? <laughs> me, 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 me. All disguised in good things. Don't misunderstand. Hey, God, give me a lot of drugs this week. Come on. It's all good things. God, bless this. God, help this. God, do this. But it's all me, 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 me. When's the last time I was just praying? God, puncture this self satisfied spiritual bubble that I'm living in and bring me back to a place where I'm hungry and thirsty for you, where I'm pressing to get there, where I'm not satisfied just doing what I'm doing. Give me a holy discontent. And God starts to, and then I know this, I know me. Have you lived long enough to know you can't make your heart do anything? You cannot make your heart do anything. But you can ask God to make you willing. Make me willing. So I'm driving home, listening to this message, and it's just pounding on my heart. And I'm like, God, I don't want 2022 to be about getting into our building. And I don't want 2020, 2022, 2022 to be about some ministry thing. All good things. I want 2022 to be about you. So I go to my staff this week. And I just laid this message out in front of them. And I said, guys, I, I want to prepare for the next 60 days, November, December, for something spectacular in January. So I want to call a holy convocation. And I want us to fast and pray in January. But if I said, let's do this, I'm your boss, so you'll say, okay. But if it's not in your heart, there'll be no benefit to it because the heart is everything. But what if we took the next 60 days and we prayed, God, make me willing. Make me hungry. Make me thirsty. Put me in a place where I want you more than I want it. Where you are all. You have all of my attention. You have all of my passion. You have all that I have to offer. God, could you get me in that place right there? Man, this awesome thing happened with the staff. So we're, look, it it sounds drawn out. I know like, pastor, let's just get after it. But God has to prepare a platform to operate from in our heart. So I'm asking you to join with me in January to make it a year where we're not asking God for stuff, but we're asking God for God. Where we're not asking God for all of these other things that we think are going to bring us life and joy and happiness, but we're asking Jesus, make me hungry so that you can satisfy that hunger. Make me thirsty so that I can drink living water. And there's just something to it. And I know, look, right now, some of you are sitting here and it's going like this right over your head. And some of you, it's hitting on the heart and bouncing off because you have a hardened heart. Not because you're ugly and mean and wicked, but because your heart lives in a world that makes it hard. And so I say these things and you can hear me and go, oh, that would be awesome. But you can't do anything about your heart. But you can do this. You can ask God to soften your heart and put you in a place where you want more of him. And so often we make it about, God, give me this. God, do this. God, answer this prayer. And what about God? Just have all of me. Have all of my heart, all of my attention, all of my passion. Where are you at with that? And if you're just like, Pastor, ah, good for you. No, it needs to be good for you too. And so you need to ask the Lord, make me willing. And maybe you're hearing this and you're like, I'm already there, dude. So can God take you beyond where you are? And maybe you're making up your mind right now about where you stand. Can this be the year? It's time. So I'm going to pray for you right now. We're going to start a prayer for the next 60 days for what the Lord wants to do in 2022. And by the way, here's how I want to measure success in 2022. I'm not measuring it by our building. I'm not measuring it by the money we raise. I'm not measuring it by how many people are in our church. I'm going to measure 2022. Are we more in love with Jesus than we've ever been before? Are we more hungry for Jesus than we've ever been before?
And may God do something brand new in our lives through him. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I love you. And Father, I want you to come in and do something brand new. Something that's not not about things, not about this world, not about me, not about Chris, not about our family, not about our church. It's about you, who you are. Jesus said unexpectedly, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He could say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for me. For they will be satisfied with me. Father, there are people today who hear this and go, I know exactly what you mean, Pastor. I'm with you. I'm there. And I bless you. But I'm praying that God shakes up even that status quo and that the passion we feel for Jesus will be so much more than we feel right now. That the hunger we feel for Jesus will be so much more than we feel right now. And that his satisfying those things will be so much more than we've ever known. For those that sit here and hear the message, but just you feel, meh, meh. Can you at least pray, Holy Spirit, make me willing. Holy Spirit, move in my heart. Holy Spirit, soften my heart. And for those that hear this that just aren't even sure about the following Christ issue, can this be the time? Can this be the day? Can this be the moment? God is calling you. He's speaking to you. Maybe even through a message like this, you've been considering who you are, why you're here, and you're about to fill your life with all sorts of choices and all sorts of paths that are going to lead to determinations. And before you make those steps, can you consider first that there's a creator who loves you knows you has good things for you and wants you to ask him can this be the time can this be the year maybe you feel like pastor it's just insignificant as you say those things we've got so far to go the book of Ecclesiastes says do not despise the day of small beginnings because it's in small decisions that huge things come in fact the picture that I have it's a small seed right now, but from it comes a tree of life. A place that will bring shelter to you, food to you, hope to you, whose leaf doesn't wither and who produces fruit, and it's permanent in your life. Lord, make us willing. Lord, have all of us. Lord, move in our lives. Lord, for too many years, we've satisfied ourselves with everything except you. Make it about you. Make us willing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for helping us. Thank you, Lord, that 2022 is going to be a better year because of you. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, church.